The Loose Cannons podcast is a free-form discussion about film that contains mature language, such as poop and titty, and descriptions of mature situations, such as filing taxes and raising children. We do not have any concern for spoilers, so if you haven't seen the film or films we are discussing and don't want to have the twists ruined for you, please watch the film before listening to the podcast. If she calls, just be gentle. You know, like you're really happy to hear from her, like you really miss her. Women love that shit. <laughs> okay, if you say so. Women love that shit. <laughs> hey everyone it's another loose cannons podcast coming at you yeah joining yeah. me Ruben, today is uh patrick and Ilya. Yep, hi yep. patrick hey hello Ilya. hello today's movie that we're going to be discussing is 1991's thelma and louise directed by ridley scott um but before we do that let's do this it's a little segment we like to call heralds and denouncements we need some of that uh, southern style guitar that they use throughout this movie. Yeah. Wow. 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 Patrick, have you seen anything recently? Um, yeah, I have. Uh, I guess I can go ahead and. Because I don't think that it's going to make any of my. Uh, well, it, it might, actually. Um, I, I actually am going to go ahead and herald uh, Old Man and the Gun, which we saw together uh, in the theaters. I don't know if anybody is still wanting to watch it, so I don't really want to spoil a lot of it, but I will say I'm that I watch like it, it. I think. Yeah, yeah, I, I did like it. Um, it has kind of a cool 70s vibe going throughout the movie in tone and also in the execution of the cinematography, so... Well, that was kind of a cool trick they played where they actually shot the movie like other movies from the era that they wanted it to reflect. Well, well done on, uh, I forget that director's name now. David, David Lowry. David Lowry, that's right, yeah. Yep, I like that movie too. Cool. Very nice. Yeah, I'll denounce uh, the, the TV show Bodyguard that's on Netflix right now. I was sick one day and wanted to watch something, and that show just come out, and it's apparently super huge on British TV, and it's got the guy from Game of Thrones, whatever, I remember his name, uh, not Sean Bean, but his son, uh, and um, then, like, that movie, the, 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 the show starts out, like, almost promising, because it's, like, the story of, like, a... Afghanistan veteran who is supposed to protect like the home secretary, but he, he like hates everything she stands for. And the first episode ends with him kind of beginning to conspire to maybe murder her. And I'm like, okay, that's maybe an interesting way for something to go. But then it completely goes into the most boring route imaginable where he falls in love with her. And uh, <laughs> oh boy. then uh, kind of forgets about the whole reason why he's like traumatized for life and whatever and that this person probably had a lot to do with that um and uh yeah terrible really bad show don't watch it wowzers <laughs> they really went the other way on that one 
Yeah. <laughs> From conspiring to murder to falling in love. And like literally the next episode, that's what happens. It's hilarious. It's <laughs> a classic episode. twist. Classic. <laughs> classic human emotions. Is it based off of the movie The Bodyguard? La- yeah. Does it have well, the Houston song in? <laughs> I, I was kept waiting for it, but like not even um, at the end credits did it have that. <laughs> or even like the Dolly Parton version. <laughs> Dolly Parton song. All right. Um, I was going to watch a movie uh, Friday night, um, but I guess I'll herald what I did instead, which was watch the last four and a half hours of the Dodgers Red Sox game. Let's see his game. It went 18 innings. Um, so instead of watching a movie Friday night, I watched that, which was uh, really good and reminded me why baseball's the best. Too bad the Dodgers blew a four-run lead in the seventh uh, yesterday, so they're probably going to lose. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're down 3-1 now in the series, but that game was pretty great. And not just because the Dodgers won, even if they hadn't won, it probably still would have been herald-worthy. Mm-hmm. There were so many tense, crazy plays. Balls just going foul. They look like home runs. <laughs> People uh, running from third base to home uh, and an outfield uh, throw getting cut off like five feet away from the line, but the guy not being smart enough to either jump up or dive down <laughs> and running right into the catcher and getting out like two feet away from the base. Like, <laughs> It had a lot of crazy plays, so it was pretty awesome. Good times. I don't know if anyone ever just like watches a sporting event that's already passed, but I would recommend it. It's a good game. <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe that's where my sometimes. maybe I'll start watching baseball based of that of that game. <laughs> Although I don't know if I can afford to get into another sport. Like yeah. the NBA is already kind of a full time thing. Could denounce the Thunder. They're bad. They play the Suns today. If they don't win today, oh man, they're <laughs> yeah, they're it's done. Not looking great. They might not even make the playoffs. In a real bad year. Um, all right, let's talk about this movie, which was my pick. Uh, if no one cut the theme, it was '90s movies that I want to see. Um, that's Thelma and Louise. Uh, it's a movie about two women, the titular characters who uh, are going on a vacation to sort of get away from uh, not super great home lives and uh, on their way up to a cabin where they're going to spend the weekend. Uh, And they decide to get a little drunk, uh, have a little fun, and a guy there tries to rape Thelma. And uh, Louise saves her but ends up shooting him to death and so they end up going on the run uh, because of that trying to get to Mexico to escape the authorities. Patrick what do you think of this movie? Um, I like this movie. Uh, I think this movie rules. Uh, It's now I think up there with Alien for the best Ridley Scott films, honestly. Like, <laughs> I didn't think there were any other good Ridley Scott films, but uh, 
this one proved me wrong. So, yep, he's got two that I like now. Is this the first yeah, time yeah. you watched this? Yep, it's the first time I've seen the whole movie all the way through. I've seen like scenes of it on mm-hmm. like you know the best movies or like people's favorite movies or whatever. But it's the first time I've ever watched the whole thing. It's definitely one of the few movies where I saw the very last scene before I saw anything else. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it's definitely kind of a famous ending. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah, what I have fond memories yeah. of watching this uh, with my mom when I was a kid um, and her really liking it. Uh, and I really liked it this time. Um, I, I have some caveats with it. Um, we can get into a little bit later. Um, and, uh, but, but I, you know, they're pretty much in my mind outweighed by a lot of really unique things that this movie still has. Um, and yeah, I, I, I definitely agree that it's probably one of the best things that really Scott's done. Probably the, maybe for me, probably next to Blade Runner, probably my favorite thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, we can discuss more details later. I like this movie a lot. It's kind of a controversial take on this podcast, but I like Blade Runner, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I also really like this movie, so we're all in consensus there. And, uh, I mean, I don't think it's, uh, I guess... Surprising to say what I think is so good about this movie is the way that the crime that I mentioned that is like the narrative impetus, the shooting of that guy, uh, the rapist, um, feels, the movie feels less to me about like the cat and mouse game of uh, crime and more about how when women express their pleasure and power, that society is going to clamp down on it. Like, that in a way that this is just a very, very extreme version of what their weekend was going to be, <laughs> no matter what. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the two women who decide to run away from their uh, obligations, and scare quotes, uh, for a weekend... Um, are going to be punished by society. It's just a matter of how much. Um, yep. And that's, it's a very uh, hard note to hit, I guess, because um, it would be very easy for this movie, I think, to just be about uh, them, you know, the narrative, I guess, them running away from the cops, and it never really feels like that to me. It's really about who these two women are and the fact that them expressing their full reality is seen as a crime in and of itself, as opposed to the other more literal crimes they commit. (laughs) I think the movie very smartly uh, doesn't give you a lot of characterization for both of the women before that crime happens, before the rape happens, you don't really know much about Thelma or Louise. Um, and I think it's like a good, it's a good stroke to put that, uh, 
seen so early, and uh, basically, like like Ruben kind of says, like them becoming criminals is something that's like that's their character really developing, like that's them finally yeah. having the freedom to act the way that they wanted, and as like Thelma at some point says that she can't imagine being the same person she was before. And she doesn't want to be. Yeah. Like she doesn't regret doing anything that she did or anything that happened, um, because it made her like come into her own. I feel is a pretty good indictment of the positions that we put women in. That in order to break free and become the person you really want, you first have to basically <laughs> become a fucking criminal. <laughs> um, and then only then is your free range of expression really given. Um, I think that's still yeah. a pretty radical I, take, so it's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I, I sort of agree with you on the, um, the characterization point, but I, do, I think there is a minimal amount of characterization, but it's a characterization that I think is like the amount of characterization is the amount that's normally given to women in movies where it's like, She's the, you know, uptight housewife and she's the, mm -hmm. you know, like no nonsense, yeah. you know, waitress or whatever. And like that's the level of characterization they give them. And then once the crime happens, you kind of start to see their true selves actually emerge. And that's what I think is interesting about it is that it takes those two roles and kind of like twists them and like flips them on their mm -hmm. head a little bit and you yeah. you yeah. start to learn actually like you learn why Louise shoots that guy more later on in the film like you understand her actions in that scene better the more that the film yeah. goes on because you're like oh you know exactly why she was mad enough to shoot him even after you know the rape was over and they were getting away because yeah. he basically is just you know reminding her of what happened to her before and she's like no i'm not gonna let this stand like yeah and in the same you, way like you, you like gotta you said, like the there's a sort of minimal characterization of them before that happens and then uh, while their characters are like grow and develop to be like really complex portraits, all the men in this movie kind of remain like pretty like low on the characterization. I think that that's yeah. a pretty great joke, actually. That like every man in this and movie is kind of a stereotype in some way, and not a lot of them go beyond that. Um, and I think that that is fully intentional. That, that that they are that way. Yeah. I mean, I've heard We've some gone through criticisms three of it, things but I think that it's I awesome. want to comment on. Yeah, <laughs> Ruben, jump in, jump in here. Um, so the first thing is like you know going back a little bit to the point that I was making before, um, the specifically that horrible horrible scene of the attempted rape. Um, they. <coughs> Like, to me, it's a very conscious and good choice that she doesn't, like, shoot him while he's attacking Agreed. them. Yeah. And that she shoots him because uh, he won't, like the trucker later along, because he won't, even when they have the gun, like, allow for the power dynamic to change, I guess. it give them even the slightest modicum of respect. And I think that that is it's such an easy way for an audience to have sympathy for them if they shoot someone while, like while in the process yeah. of attack and this way is a way a much more challenging decision and why i think it's 
less about the crime. Um, and I guess another thing that I really like about that scene, which is really deeply unpleasant to watch, is how it portrays like a murder and a rape in the same scene and forces you to like put them side by side and like compare how you are going to feel about these two crimes that are committed. And, you know, obviously, because I think the filmmakers have a clear agenda, they want you to feel like one is a certain way. But, you know, there are certainly a lot of audiences who would have trouble <laughs> agreeing with them. And uh, I think that's, I don't know, I think that's a smart choice. Yeah. Yep. I also think um, the way that they set up them coming into and going out of that space of that uh, trucker bar is very interesting because it's this like street that's just lined with these giant trucks and it's the, it's their car in the middle with no roof on it driving through this just line of just like gigantic trucks just filled with men mm. basically and like pickup trucks like you know, swerving around them and like, you know, the everything just like feels this weirdly like claustrophobic, like they're just pinned in on all sides by these men and these giant machines. And I, I, I really liked that, uh, just that like visual dynamic that they set up where it's like, this is the landscape that they are venturing into now. And, you know, it, it, it kind of sets up that tension before you before there even is any sort of like actual tension before the character even shows up on screen like you were already in that headspace of like something dangerous could happen to them here and you don't know where it could come from and um i i liked the way that i, I know like i guess that is one thing that i do like about ridley scott he he does seem to have some good visual sense and so he does a good job like setting that up and filling that landscape with something. Yeah, yeah this movie looks uh, really good, generally. Something <laughs> from a narrative standpoint, I guess that I appreciate now that you bring that up, because that space and them weaving out of that to like get out of there after they've done it is essentially the first thing on the path of getting them caught, because that's Harvey Keitel's first information. That's how he finds out what their car looks like and how to you know, track down the husband and that pretty much leads to everything, so. Yeah. But yeah, the, um, I also think it's kind of interesting, I don't know what to make of it, but the, uh, the woman who's the waitress in the bar who's kind of like, at first, you know, basically just like looking out for them and then later when she's talking to Harvey Keitel, she's like, Nah, they didn't do it. Like they aren't the type or whatever. And it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's this it's whole like inter yeah. There's defending. this whole interplay with her talking about yeah, yeah, yeah how yeah. how you you don't get to know uh, human nature quite like a waitress ever does. You know, <laughs> whatever. And yeah. I was like, that's pretty funny. Like, yeah, and I think like in a in an interesting way, like a lot of this movie theme is like female solidarity, right? Like there's like this idea a that bit, yeah. Like, you, you want to, like, you know, stick together because no one else is going to... If we don't watch out for each other, no one else is going to watch out for us. And in a way, that scene with that waitress, that is... I don't remember that actress. I really liked her in this performance. Um, 
she is almost like she's probably even she what what we don't know what she thinks, but she might even think that that is actually what did happen, that they actually did shoot him, but she thinks it's more important to protect these two women from the police in this case um, than like to whatever to like get to the bottom of whatever happened like the way she's talking yeah. about them. Yeah, she obviously like, doesn't like that guy. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's I think it's I think it's you know it's good. Like I think in a normal movie, you know, it would be on the side of the police. Like oh, we've got to solve this murder. We're going to do this job. But like. The movie seems to be more on her side, where she's yeah. like, "I mean, they I'm become glad he's dead because he was a rapist asshole." Like, yeah, I'm I mean, glad they become criminals him. right away. And a lot of this movie is about whether or not the laws that we have in place are actually like what of this like is that's not fair that like these women have to like be like live in fear of death after they just killed a guy that would have raped them. It's not fair that that would be their punishment. And it's equally seems kind of unfair yeah. later on when they rob that store that that only makes the cops go after them harder, you know. Like that's uh, like it, there's like a, a dissonance between what the law sees as like moral and what they and what like this movie also sees as yeah. moral. The and, cops in this movie are not the good guys whatsoever. Even like yeah, maybe Katel as that... one guy, but yeah. Yeah, it's also interesting that, like, that situation is also set up by a man sort of, like, forcing them into it as well. Because yeah. Rad mm -hmm. Pitt essentially forces them into yeah. that situation by stealing their money. Yes. <laughs> and so it's a, it's just, like, them being forced into these situations by men over and over again. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I liked that, uh, I guess, like, narrative device of it's constantly, like, there is some sort of driving force behind it that is caused by men behaving badly. Um, yeah, I think the movie is surprisingly anti-carceral, which is very cool, especially for 1991, hmm. um, when Louise is on the phone with uh, Harvey Keitel's character, uh, whose name I can't remember. Um, he's basically like, you know, like, I, I do believe you, you know, there's nothing we can do about the robbery, but, like, we can figure something out about what happened in that truck station. You just need to come in, because otherwise, like, you're, you're, like you can come in alive, you can come in dead. And she's mm -hmm. like, you say that I can come in dead, but then I'm thinking about life in prison, uh, body searches, uh, electrocution in the chair. She's like... yeah. Yeah, and she said she hangs up the phone, and it's kind of like she implies like there isn't a come in alive or come in dead. There's come in dead, and live a long life of death, or come in dead and be dead at that moment. Yeah, and she's like I'll take exactly. option C, which is escape the power <laughs> structure. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. So, and the only reason they cool. get caught is because Brad Pitt tells the others that they're going to Mexico. Right, right, bastard. <laughs> God damn it, Brad Pitt! Yeah, sexy, sexy body. <laughs> <laughs> like your wife. I love. I love how much this movie sexualizes him. It's really hilarious. Uh, Gina Davis literally howls like a dog in one scene. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. She's she which like adds, yeah, she begs like a dog for, for Susan Sarandon to stop so that she can pick him up. Which is obviously again also <laughs> in line really with funny. this idea that, oh, we're gonna make like some we're gonna dumb down some male characterizations in this movie and we're gonna objectify men. Like that's just gonna be this is what we're gonna do here. Um uh there's also like a really throwaway scene uh in a gas station where you can see like this like super muscular guy just like pumping weights in the background for like no <laughs> yeah. reason whatsoever. Yeah. And he just kind of looks like an extra girl in like a video or something who's just like naked in the background or something. So that yeah, was really funny It's too. well timed too because they've just got done talking to Brad Pitt for the first time, uh, JD yeah. and... Um, yeah. And she's like, I'm sorry, I don't think it would be a good idea. And then she throws the car into reverse and just goes speeding yeah. through this, like, awesome. no road, almost gets hit, <laughs> yeah. and then, like, stops immediately at a gas station, and then there's just a sweaty guy <laughs> yeah, pumping iron, and it's, like, this amazing moment of just, like, incredible repressed sexual frustration just explodes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when they're both just like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Everything is happening now. Um, yeah, the other th uh, another thing that point two that I wanted to make from a while ago was about the characterization thing and how um, powerful I think like the turn is a little bit. How so much of like the first half of the movie involves Tina Davis's character Thelma being scared or meek or letting Louise make the decisions, and then. Um, starting with sort of convincing her to pick up Brad Pitt by howling at her. Um, <laughs> she starts to take control of the plan and of the narrative um, and becomes like, you know, uh, definitely a figure that I more associate with Gina Davis yeah. as, as a person. <laughs> um, which, so that's another way in which it's like a cool casting choice. It's like almost like sort of hinting at... Uh, that she has like this untapped power at the beginning of the movie just by virtue of mm -hmm. Gina Davis being on screen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she originally auditioned for uh, Louise because um, uh, apparently she was getting, being afraid that like she was always getting cast in like sort of, uh, I don't know, like sort of very. Uh, loose roles, like where she was just kind of unhinged or whatever, and like she was like, "I'm like a grown ass woman now. I can like play the the grown ass women roles. I'm okay with that." But um, what I think, like, what you're, I think you, that's absolutely right. The reason why her character works that well is because it's Gina Davis. Like, you know, there's something coming with this character that's going to be. Uh, like there's going to be some growth there. She's not going to stay in yeah. this like meek role. Um, and when it happens, yeah. it comes off very convincingly. Like yeah. it sort and of I, turns around to be it, like it, a bit writerly or whatever. But in this case, it's really funny and exuberant when it happens. Yeah, and I, I think too it, it works with like Gina Davis's physicality too because she's taller, mm -hmm. and so that she can actually like kind of physically exude some sort of power in that role mm -hmm. and it it you're right it does like the turnaround does work because it's like she's like oh yeah like she's just suddenly realizing like oh yeah like 
I'm taller than everyone around me, and I, <laughs> I actually have this like physical presence that I can exert. And I, hey, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a really funny moment where she. That's after I think. Uh, that's after that cop stops them in the middle of the desert, and uh, she like points a gun at him uh, and gets him to climb in a trunk. Not before like shooting two air holes in the trunk for him. <laughs> Um, so considerate, uh, and like she gets like gets back into her car, and she's like, you know what? I get the feeling that I got a knack for this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I that scene is great in my opinion. The way that he rolls up, I, Terminator Two wasn't out at this point, but like he kind of like looks like he's got like that. He's got the huge aviator, so like most of his face yeah. is covered in the. And the helmet, and he just looks, he's got like this strong chin and like olive skin, and he just looks yeah. like this terrifying presence. Luis and like, calls him a Nazi. Yeah. He says, Look yeah. at this, There's, he's a Nazi. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, then uh, as soon as uh, Thelma puts the gun on him, he's just like this blubbering yeah. man, baby. He's like, I have kids. And she's like, yeah. good. You should treat them right. Yeah. Make sure Especially your wife. Treat your wife. Yeah. Yeah. Be sweet to your wife. My husband wasn't sweet to me. Look how I turned out. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Very funny. It's a very good line delivery, too. Very, very yeah, good. And, and I, there's also a later scene that I think is just there for laughs, but like the guy on the bike who's just like smoking a J and just rolls up on the cop in the uh, trunk and the cop's like, please let me out. I'm a police officer. And he just like blows smoke into the hole yeah, in the I, trunk. It's um, <laughs> obviously this is a very, very white movie. Yeah. I was like, about to the, say, yeah, that, that scene almost to me feels like if you're going to make a white movie, like that's the perfect way to do it. Like it's this guy, he's not named, he has no like characterization, but he's like, I also don't like authority. Go, go, go fuck women. Yourself, police. Yeah. So go fuck yourself. <laughs> just like, blow this marijuana smoke into your trunk like, with you. Uh, like the writer is like, I know I'm writing about women. And, you know, I know the white women experience more than I know yeah. anything about being black or any other sort of, like, marginalized community. But I want to, like, tip my hat to being like, hey, you know, we're in this together. Thanks yeah. for not letting that cop out of the trunk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I do, I do like that that guy is, like, he's kind of given as much characterization as you can give a character that doesn't have any lines. Cause he's wearing this like outrageous, just like bike outfit, the like tight <laughs> spandex with the bright colors. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it tells you a lot about someone who's biking through the desert and smoking a joint. While yeah. It does it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, wow, this yeah, guy has got all yeah. kinds of stuff going if anything, on. The only thing I don't like about that scene is I think the music choice is a little bit, uh, I can way. see clearly oh, now. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a bit I much. See, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> In general, I can see that the music here, like the music choices here, are, are like pretty rank sometimes. But I think it totally works because it's like, oh yeah, I've like, uh, I've had the fortune to like drive in my mom's car when we're like driving through the desert, and like there's just a bunch of radio that's just playing dumb songs. But because it's just you in the car. You sometimes just end up like singing along to the dumbest songs anyway, because it's just boring, and yeah. uh, and it's fun, and no one can hear you because it's just you in the desert. So, I I can I can dig it. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I um, I I really like those 
sort of vista shots that they do with uh, them driving through like Monument Valley and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's I think it's kind of cool that um, it you know in its own way it sort of like calls back to I guess that idea of like westerns because that's where John Ford shot a lot of his westerns was in Monument Valley and so it it kind of calls back to this sort of like mythical western hero idea and it's saying here are you know our new like mythical heroes like you know instead of Bonnie and Clyde now we have like Thelma and Louise we have yeah. like our yeah. new I mean that's obviously what the title is supposed to be yeah or um or like yeah, um, I think I guess like Butch Cassidy and, and the Sundance Kid like that sort of thing because I mean even the the ending calls back to um Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid with the you know like freeze yeah. frame ending as the outlaws you know basically like run to certain death uh that well, at I, least I, LaFleurs isn't there do what at least LaFleur isn't there <laughs> whatever his name is <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, just the whole Colombian army yeah but that's uh yeah I I, I like that um I guess filming yeah I think that coding. Scott brought like this weird like epic sweep the story which I'm not sure if it would otherwise have it like I'm not sure if it's like just by like looking at the story that would, would necessitate such like a weird western epicness but the, I really like that it's in within this uh, genre it's like that makes it part of like like you said like part of like a historical uh I don't know, a uh, line of movies and heroines um, and not just like, oh, this is like a movie about the now. Because like, the movie feels like weirdly timeless in a way. Like there's not a lot of stuff yeah. that like, I mean, sure, I guess the payphones and whatever give it away and like, like the music choices, <laughs> I guess. But there's like a grandness and it's so like I nature focused. I promise you, focused. if you go to a bar like that today, they're still playing that music. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah so, um, I. Well, I was gonna say that um, the what I was reading because I was there was a the scene early in the movie where they're at the bar. We were trying to figure out who the guy singing in the bar was because he looked a lot like Matt Dillon. It turns out it's a guy named Charlie Sexton who he looks a lot apparently like has Matt a Dillon. record label. <laughs> yeah, he, he has a record label with Ethan Hawke, like apparently. Like skinny and Matt he's, Dillon? Yeah, and he's, he's uh, in the movie Boyhood also, so I think oh. the, the scene where they're playing in the bar <laughs> at the end. Um, oh. But the what I thought was interesting, though, um, I found that the writer of this movie was originally going to direct it herself in a sort of like low budget documentary style. And so talking about that like epic sweep that Ridley Scott brought to mm -hmm. it, like I am kind of glad that it got handed over to Ridley Scott and it, it actually like, you know, elevated the material into this, you know, um, other thing than just being, you know, kind of like a, cause it, it could have just been like a low budget movie that no one ever saw, you know, about two women on the run and, that I mean I'm I don't know if that movie would have been good or not, but I think that the fact that it can be like looked at as like this Western canon now, mm -hmm. and you know the it it does espouse a lot of the same themes that like Western movies do. I think that that's yeah. you know a more interesting path, if nothing Definitely. else. I, when you said that you were talking about the scene in the bar, 
For a second, I thought you meant uh, my favorite, my the funniest scene in the movie for me was when they go in and Louise tells Thelma to call her husband to make sure if like he's like informed anyone or if he knows anything, and she she calls him and he's like. <laughs> Thelma, hello! And she like hangs up immediately. <laughs> he knows. He knows. Yeah. <laughs> that is just so fucking Yeah, funny. that is pretty funny. Like that a lot. Uh, and then when they call, they, they call him back and ask to, call, to talk to the police or whatever. It's really, really yeah. good. I love when he thinks he's doing a good job. He's like, the police, I don't know what you're talking about. And they're like, just give yeah, us the and phone. Yeah, like, he's like, like I got it. Like, Am I doing good? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't think about the Monument Valley point. That's a really good point. Mm-hmm. I did think about the title, and I do think that another thing that I really like about this movie is, like, I think it's a pretty direct, obviously, like, follow-up response to Bonnie and Clyde and I think one of the things that this movie is saying is that historically female friendship is so sidelined in media and in Mm -hmm. uh, the world in general that it it's sort of trying to take back the idea that a love like that uh, a love between just two women friends would be powerful enough for them to like completely change their lives like it's such a stereotype the idea of like a woman falling in love with a man and like you know kind of burning down the world around her or whatever i mean we just saw it in a in one of our recent podcasts the bad times at el royale with rosie yeah and it's you know it's important to see this, I think. I, I'm i lucky that my friendships have been very good in my life. I'd definitely be more willing to ruin my life over one of my friends than anyone I've ever dated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that um, there's definitely... I mean, I think Sally talked about this in her letterbox review that for her that there's like a... Um, like an LGBT element to the way that the uh, story is told, that this like their love for each other is like goes maybe uh, beyond friendship into something more romantic, and like I think that it's great that the movie allows for that interpretation because I wouldn't say that it you know that's inconceivable that that's totally part of it. Um, but in any case, it's definitely that this connection between two women is so powerful that they that the men in their lives actually don't really like they don't really bring that out in them it's only each other that end up like uh you know making them whole and uh, like maybe bringing something out in them that they otherwise wouldn't have found um because even louise who's like ostensibly has like a more like a better relationship than Thelma like he seems outwardly to be yeah less of a douchebag although still prone to like some weird violence um, yeah he's probably the best male character in the movie and yet he's yeah. still like 
when she won't tell him what's going on, just like starts throwing the exactly. hotel furniture around. Yeah. yeah. And it's a great scene where in, in, that, in that hotel room when he does that and then uh, Louise does not like acquiesce to him like trying to make up for it. He's just like, no, I'm going to stay right here because he wants to, like, her to sit down because he wants to give her a ring. And she makes him yeah. give her the ring while they're like standing next to each other awkwardly like by the door. Yeah. And it's just like this really... like Those are like the moments in this movie where it's like, oh yeah, it's actually kind of a radical act for a woman to assert her own herself that way to tell a guy off to tell him that no you're not gonna like just get away with what you just did because I'm gonna call you on it and you're not gonna fucking pretend that it didn't happen and you know in the end it's it's cool when like a movie says well yeah I guess that's like an okay dude but that doesn't doesn't mean she has to like like build her life around that. Like there's more to life than just okay dude that you have to plan everything around. Yeah. And I mean she says that she says I think at two points in the movie that they both just settled. Like yeah. that was what they settled for and it's like, well, you don't have to settle for that, you know. <laughs> she yeah. settled for him because he was the best available option. Yeah, and it's like, one other thing I like about this movie is actually that there's a lot of things in those characters that kind of stays untold, that you don't have, like, this massive exposition for each of them, that there's, like, the secret that, like, Louise carries around, which is strongly implied that, you know, something happened to her in Texas where she was uh, probably uh, either raped or assaulted or whatever it is, and maybe, like, did something to a guy did it like maybe she even murdered somebody but then she like got away and um like she's definitely uh wants to like that 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 part is always kind of hinted at and never fully expressed and neither is like the relationship between like louise and i think like whatever whoever michael madsen's name is in this movie i think johnny or something i think it's jimmy or jimmy yeah Give me your Johnny, anyway. Like the standard J name. Um, yeah, yeah. That it's also not like a hundred percent sure what their relationship is like, or what would it what it was like before. It's just you know, yeah. It's also it wasn't like great. You don't have to like spell out everything out. Um, I like that. It was tumultuous. Yeah. Which can mean so many things. Um, Yeah, I. This was is the third thing <laughs> that I wanted to talk about. We did that quick uh, overview at the beginning. Is that I agree with um, you both that the men in this movie are not good, but I think that the movie sadly thinks that Harvey Keitel's character is good, and that's one of my few mm. caveats about the film. Is that like especially towards the final act. Uh, it starts um, presenting him as like a potential like minor hero for them, like the way that he treats JD in yeah. the interrogation room, where he's like, "Those women had a chance, and you took it from them," um, and then like him trying to tell Stephen Kowalski's character, who I guess is like his boss or like 
maybe the FBI agent on this case or something. I'm mm -hmm. not exactly sure what their yeah. relationship is. It's like, I need to be there. Like I can talk them out of this. We don't want two dead women on our hands. And you won't listen to them. And then, of course, in the final moments, like running after their car, trying to stop them. I don't know how, with his bare hands. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Very silly. Um, and, like, to me, his character is, uh, you know, I, if the movie could, he's, like, not exactly, like, a nice guy, but he's someone who definitely thinks he's a better person than he is. Um, like, he laughs really hard at Tobolowsky's comment earlier yeah. that, that we opened the podcast with, where he's like, women yes. love that shit, being yeah. treated nicely. <laughs> and I'm like, that's... That's who that guy is. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and he also laughs at the comment that Christopher McDonald makes before that, where he's, he says um, something like, as much as I can be in love with somebody who's crazy or something like that, where he's talking about... Yeah, uh, yeah, he Davis. also laughs at that. Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. He's it's like, oh, all wives are crazy or whatever. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Be shopping. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Uh, yeah, uh, it's like... In a way, it, I don't think this movie is commenting on his performative allyship. It's definitely a, yeah. the movie thinks he is an ally, and he's not. Yeah. And that's definitely like a... Can't be a cop and an ally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even that if is. he was the best cop in the world, that would be such a, like, a, if we were just doing like a point scale, that would be like so many negative points. It would mm. erase everything else you were doing in your life. So yeah. you're a cop, minus 100. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, to, I, I can't, I think it was Ilya uh, who made an earlier point about uh, Gina Davis not wanting to be typecast. I think that that is probably correct. Like she, um, was it, apparently she won her Academy Award for a movie called The Accidental Tourist, which I've never seen, but apparently she plays like kind of a, I don't know, like neurodivergent character in that movie or something. And so that's kind of, I guess, what people started seeing her as is like, this is, you know, <laughs> which roles we're going to give you because this is what you are famous for playing and um i think she actually did a pretty good job of breaking out of that honestly like her next movie after this was a league of their own so <laughs> i think she did a good job with this movie and then a league of their own and yeah. kind of like busted the that uh stereotype a little bit i mean i it's do think it's interesting that I... oh sorry but no i was gonna say like definitely when i think of her now i think of a league of their own first probably in this second and I guess like the fly, long kiss good night. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, the long kiss good night. I usually don't think of that one. I usually forget about that one. But yeah, that's another one where she. He's a lot of fun like, in that movie. Bust I that mean, mold. That movie is definitely yeah. nowhere near as good as this one. But it's like she's really fun <laughs> in it. Like I always liked her in that movie. Yeah, I haven't seen that movie, but I think I should. I mean, both her and Susan Sarandon are like interesting. Interesting people. Um, like for all of uh, Sarandon's like more recent controversies, um, I, I think it's hilarious that everyone basically blames her for Trump getting elected. <laughs> I think like, like 
Um, but it's, yeah, it's but, that, that it's a dumb liberal thing where they're just like, yeah, it's all the people who didn't vote. Yeah, you I know, mean, either Democrat, or Republican. I mean, it, they voted a third party, and it's like, yeah, fuck I mean, you. she's definitely like <laughs> give said, them something to vote for. That's some weird shit every now and again, but like it's um, it's definitely telling that in this movie, the way that this movie turned out, I think that both Gina Davis and Susan Sarandon had a huge influence on what it ended up becoming. Not just from like a purely acting standpoint, but also because, like, um, they had like a vision for this movie that was as uh, important, if not more, than like whatever Ridley Scott's version of this movie was. Um, and um, that sort of process and that like influence is rare. I think it's still rare. I think there's not a lot of movies uh, made nowadays, especially that like you know get this huge um where a female friendship relationship whatever is the focal point of the movie and the main two star and it's a movie like driven by um these two women um both uh from an acting standpoint and from like a vision standpoint um it's it's weird to say that it's like 30 whatever odd years later and it's still um that way um I think there's like yeah, more. What one thing that Ruben touched on earlier is definitely something that's kind of missing from this movie is um, like a more, uh, I guess, for lack of a better word, intersectional um, approach to this type of like oppression that the two face. Um, but probably, yeah, I mean, maybe it would have rung false if for them to like insert a black character <laughs> here and there just for like a sake of like. Maybe like the fear of tokenism would have been too much, um, and it's not like this movie is populated with a lot of characters anyway. Um, and I'm yeah. not sure and that other scene is yeah. so strange and out of place. Like yeah. none of us would have worried what happened to that cop if they never yeah. shown him again. Exactly. Like, we didn't need. It's just and a we don't even really get the story yeah. close. So yeah. it feel it feels so intentionally placed in the movie yeah. to be like. Yeah, we know that there are only white people in this movie. Yes. That's the population that this is about. Yeah. But this is like, you know, our little donation yeah. to remind yeah. you that we gonna, care about that, yeah. I guess. We're going to let this one black character get a dig in there at the police. <laughs> yeah. Get him high. Yeah. And, I mean, a um, lot of the problems that both Thelma and Louise face in this movie are also, like, economic realities that they both face. Like, like Thelma... You know, she's like a housewife that is told to stay at home. She doesn't have any finances of her own. Like at the beginning, like the scene of the movie when she's like, I got $61. Uh, whoops, $20 flies out the window. I got $41 left. All I have. And Susan, like, uh, and Louise gets that money, like gets that money order delivered by uh, Jimmy or Johnny or whatever. And then Brad Pitt steals it. And then she has no money left, which makes them rob that fucking store. So it's like definitely the movie's very much not like a, I don't know, uh, a uh, uh, whatever, uppity, middle class movie, feel good movie, uh, where like uh, two, sure. two rich people could just watch it and be like, oh yeah, I'm just like them. Well, because like at every step of the way, these women like are confronted with the fact that like they, they, they have to do something in order to survive, which... Like, without money, they won't survive. Um, and um, I think it's cool that this is very present here. Um, it would have been a very different movie if they were both, like, 
wealthy suburban moms escaping from the boringness and dullness of suburb of suburbia or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I, I kind of want to play a little game here. So, um, there were originally two other actresses cast as, uh, Thelma and Louise. Do you want to take a guess as uh, to who they might've been? I think, uh, I think early nineties. Sigourney Weaver and Lori Petty. Nope. Ooh. Those are the only two I could think of. I mean, Jodie Jody Foster was big in the early 90s. Hey, you got one. Oh. That's one of them. Nice. Because I know she won for Silence of the Lambs when both Susan Sarandon and Gina that's, Davis were nominated. Yep, that's actually correct, yeah. She, she ended up winning because of both Susan Sarandon and Gina Davis were also nominated that year. Yeah. Um, but yeah, or, she yeah. was supposed to be in this movie, but wow. there was a scheduling yeah, I conflict. Did, I did not know that, she, but I think it was... Yeah. What, yeah. what, what else? Well, Kim, Kim Basinger. one nah, other actress. Probably. No, not Kim Basinger. It was somebody that was in a Batman movie, though. <laughs> Michelle Pfeiffer? It was Michelle Pfeiffer. Oh. Michelle Pfeiffer and Jodie Foster were originally supposed to play the huh. two lead roles, and it was actually... Michelle Pfeiffer was the one that convinced Ridley Scott to direct the movie, because he was just yeah. going to be the executive producer at first. Um, right. So she convinced him to direct it and then had to drop out. That is, um, that is interesting. I, I think, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that would have been a totally different There's also movie. another... Yeah, there's also another uh, actor who is considered for the role of J.D. Uh, do you want to take a stab at who that was? <laughs> Uh, there were actually, actually, I think there were a couple of different ones, but there was one actor in particular who auditioned for the role five times. So he apparently five wanted times. this role really bad. But this role, oh man, <laughs> I really want to play this asshole who ruins these women's lives. Shows <laughs> up my hot bod, and they comment on my butt being cute. Um, I hope it's Matt Dillon. Actually, <laughs> he's like, no, man, it was, it was, no, it was George Clooney. Ah, fuck. <laughs> perfect. That's why they're linked. That is perfect. Clooney and Pitt. Yep. And, um, also, this is very funny, I thought too, um, for the raunchy sex scenes between Brad Pitt and Gina Davis, Ridley Scott had assumed that a body double would be needed for Gina. Shortly after he'd begun auditioning prospective doubles, Davis learned of Scott's intentions and insisted that no doubles were needed in those steamy scenes. Right. Nice. <laughs> Gina Davis is like, no, I'm no. having sex with Brad Pitt in this movie. <laughs> no, 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 no. Good call. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, apparently she was also the one that um, recommended they cast him. Um, like... I know if you want my input, but if it was up to me, I'd go with the blonde guy. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll go with the young Brad Pitt, please. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Because, like, I can't imagine people getting mad at, like, the sexualization of Brad Pitt in this movie because I think it's just fucking hilarious, to be honest. And. Within the context of what Hollywood does to women, I think that's like, it's just the least they can do. It's like, just give it back a little bit. I know, I know. And I, I kind of want to see, like, what the 
So I'm curious what the age difference was. Seven years. Seven years, that's it? Yeah. It's the, the rare older woman with younger man. I'm pretty sure Susan Sarandon's older than uh, Michael Madsen, too. Mm-hmm. Wow. They did it big in this movie. They did it I'm all. I'm not positive. I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, Susan Sarandon is like <laughs> 70 now or something. Um, so, yeah, I guess that, that, that would add up. Looks great. Did you say 17? <laughs> 70. 70, oh. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if she's that old. Seems too old. Um, You're wrong about that, though. Yeah, one, an, another thing that I like about this movie, listing things, is um, I think it understands something that I feel like is talked about a lot now, probably wasn't talked about a lot in 1991, which is that because a uh, woman's uh, place in society is so wrapped up in her image, like image creation, and like the ability to, like, there's a selfie in this movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thelma, and that's that's the and that's of course also the photograph that flies out of the car at the end. And there's mm-hmm. another great moment where she's looking in uh, where Thelma's looking in the mirror, and she's taking an unlit cigarette and like putting it like around in her mouth. Yeah. Um, and she's like, uh, she's like, what are you doing? She's like, I'm smoking. <laughs> and then she goes, I'm you. Yeah, I'm Louise. <laughs> I'm Louise. <laughs> um, and I was like, I wonder if it's intentional that we don't get to see her through the mirror, that we see it's from the shots from behind the mirror. Mm-hmm. So we know the mirror is there and that that's what she's looking at. But we're looking right at her. And then later, the first time <coughs> Brad Pitt shows up, shows up in the rearview mirror, we see it in the mirror. And I was like, yeah. But he doesn't get to create his image. They're creating it. They're like, this yeah. guy's hot. That's how we see him in the mm-hmm. film is through them. This guy's hot. But how we see them, they get to create their own image. And I was like, that's cool. Yeah. They did that. Yeah. There's, um, <laughs> there's an interesting scene when the first time when Thelma robs the store, like that, uh, uh, that store, um, Louise is like looking, at, she's like really low because like, the money's just been stolen, and she's kind of like, and she's like sitting there, and she looks out, and then in the window there's these two um, older women looking back at her. That is just like, there's like this unspoken moment there, like she doesn't say anything, but like the, her first instinct is to just kind of look in the mirror and check because these women look at her with like such, not. Like, like yeah. no, 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 not even. I think they like they 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 look sort of sympathetic. Like they're almost like they they look sorry for her, um, or like at least they look very sad. And so her first instinct, oh, why are they looking at me? Do I look so bad? And then she looks at herself yeah. and like starts applying lipstick. But then she like throws the lipstick out the car, and then looks at them again, and has like this like interesting moment where it's like both kind of empathetic, like she. There's, she, she doesn't like give like pull a face or whatever like there's like a genuine felt like moment that oh man life really is shitty to us <laughs> um, like they can feel it I can feel it um, and we're not going to get out of it simply by like dressing it up nicely like that's what we're taught yeah. to do all the time 
And that's just the moment when Thelma comes running back. <laughs> and Yeah, and I, I, I like the construction of that scene because mm-hmm. you could very easily have the movie where it didn't allow for that kind of like quiet moment yeah. where she's you know just kind of figuring things out on her own. Like it's not a dialogue scene or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It's just a character reacting to something. And that's, it's a really cool way because it's like while that's happening plot is going on in the background, but we're getting all character. Like, everything we're seeing in that moment is all character development. And we learn about plot after that. Like, after the fact, we get to watch other people reacting to what has happened in the plot. And I, I always kind of like that in movies, where it's like <clears throat> the, a movie will show you something that happened, and then you get the character's reactions to the plot point that just mm. developed. Um which I, I guess was, it's weird to bring this movie up, but like one of the things I liked about uh, <laughs> Paranormal Activity, which <laughs> that was basically that whole movie, was just the characters within the movie reacting to things that just happened in the movie. And mm-hmm. I was like, it's kind of an interesting way to shoot a horror movie. But um, <laughs> I, no, I, I like the, the way that that is edited because it's like you get this quiet moment yeah. and then you get sort of the like explosion of excitement where it's like, ha I just robbed a place. And then you get the very funny scene of her doing, you know, Brad Pitt's little like robbery bit that he taught her. And uh, you get all the men being like, good grief. Like, <laughs> I think they all, they all say something like that, like similar. They're like, oh yeah, my good, God. Good Lord. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Um, one uh, thing, uh, so one thing that bothered me was like maybe like the lack of this intersectionality thing. Um, the other thing that bothered me uh, a little bit is um, that they do kind of make a lot of weird decisions in this movie. Um, some, I think you can chalk it up to, well, obviously, like, what do they know? They're not like career criminals or anything like that. They just, they don't know. Maybe that some actions that they do are not really smart under the circumstances, but some of them are really just not smart at all. And it comes almost like uncharacteristically. Like, for example, my, my thing that I, I thought was this kind of the dumbest thing that happens is that Louise gives Thelma the money for some reason. Why does she give, like, before well, Brett, she invites think, Brad Pitt into yeah, her house? I, I, don't think it, I don't think it was a, like she was giving her the money. I think that was their hotel room. So she was just going to keep it in her, to- her her hotel room because at that point she doesn't know that JD, like JD just shows up later yeah. after she's gone to Michael Madsen's room. So, I mean, she's not going to keep it in Michael Madsen's room. Like she's going to keep it in her own room. Well, obviously I like, would have thought that like, if this was like her life savings, she would really like, you know, protect it like a lot. Um, I, but yeah, but I fair, mean, it's, it's a point of contention, but like she mm-hmm. doesn't, she expects that like they've, you know, she expects that, you know, Thelma's not going to take it. She knows Thelma's not going to take it from her. So she's like, I'll just leave it with this other person. But then, you know, I guess JD shows up unbeknownst to her during that scene. So it's like, yeah, I, I, then it, it makes sense narratively to me because it's just like you, you as an audience see that he's there. And so you as an audience member know like the danger, but she's just completely unaware of it because she's kind of having it out with Michael Madsen that whole time. Right. Yeah. That I guess another thing that's a bit unnecessary seems a bit unnecessary is when she calls the police the second time, it's a good scene. That's the scene when Katel tells her that like he's trying to work something out or whatever. 
but that she stays on the phone yeah. for too long enough for them to trace it is kind of like, mm, okay. Yeah, I, yeah, I would, I would chalk that up to like that just like emotional mistake that one moment of her like kind of getting frozen by him bringing yeah. up what happened in Texas and yeah. she kind of like freezes. And that's that, like, one second longer they need Yeah, I mean, Gina Davis even hangs up the phone for her because at that point, like, also, Thelma has kind of become the more yeah, driving the more force there. The more that competent point. bad guy, exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love the scene where they shoot the truck. Um, and, oh, yeah. And I guess you could, you could say at that point that maybe they don't even really give a shit anymore. Like... So what if the cops find us? Maybe at that point, like in some way, they've already like made up their mind that like, oh well, if something happens, they will just do what they end up doing. But it's not really. Yeah. I, I'm not. I'm not 100 sure. Like they do spend a lot of time fucking with that guy. <laughs> it's like they are on the run from the fucking FBI. <laughs> you may want to kick it in gear a little bit. But again, like those are like small-ish complaints. And I think in this grand grand scheme of things, like. Uh, their the level of enjoyment that they seem to have with all this is more important. Um, that like the little bit of life that they get, um, you know, after they get away from the men in their lives, um, is like worth. I don't know all the life they had before. Like that's just being as free as yeah. you get to be is more important. You know. Just that fact. And I guess it's kind of like also, you know, it's it's a, a repeat of that conversation that she has with Harry Piquetto, which is like better to mm -hmm. die on the run than yeah. to die in jail. Exactly. Yeah, to, to essentially just live in death until you are actually dead. Yeah. Um, what did you, you guys actually think of the, um, I mean... The way the ending kind of like goes into this like flashback thing at the end. Whoa, what did you think of that? Yeah, I mean, it. it I'll go back to what I said earlier. Like, it, it feels like you know, just like Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid to me, where it's like in that they're sort of like it's a frozen moment in time, basically, and that's what you're going back to is basically the point where they took the the selfie earlier. Mm -hmm. So you've got, you know, them sort of remembered as this, you know, moment at, at I guess, their happiest. Not necessarily their happiest emotionally, but, like, narratively, it's like the moment where they're like, ha-ha, yeah, we're going to have fun, and mm -hmm. we're going to be fun and carefree. And, <laughs> you know, I, I kind of like that. It's sort of like a, a return to that point where it's like, yeah, now they're you know, carefree, we're free for yeah. whatever adventure we want to have now, I guess. I don't know what I think about it. I would say that that mm. scene affects me, but I don't I don't really have a great reading on it. Another scene that I thought was very funny, but I don't really understand, is when all the cops are watching a movie at uh, Daryl's place, yeah. and then he changes it to the game, and they all stare at him, and he's like, <laughs> sorry, and then changes it back to the movie. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't understand what that's saying about the relationship. Maybe it's just supposed yeah. to be a funny scene. Daryl doesn't really understand the power yeah. dynamic shift that's happened because he's been the boss 
for the last 14 years or whatever. So yeah, it, yeah, that is kind of funny, honestly. Mm -hmm. Like that's it's interesting to sort of like have a man in this movie like have the tables turned on him at that point, like because he's the character who really hasn't gotten the tables turned on him to that point. Um, and yeah, so we it, know something is going on with him that we, and it's another mystery that is never solved. Like you no know, car salesman, like she points out, is supposed to be there every Friday night yeah. until midnight until, or whatever. Yeah. And yeah. He's still out at four in the morning when he calls. He's probably having an affair. I don't know. Uh, right. It's, it's not, funny, <laughs> it's not, it's not made explicit. Um, yeah. yeah. I think uh, one thing I, I kind of dislike about it is that I think the ending is pretty perfect and the fact that it's uplifting is pretty perfect, but in order to make it seem uplifting, it's like you have to make sure that everyone's like having a good time at the end, and suicide generally doesn't really make people feel that way. Um, but I think it would have been even more, even better if they had not like did that like fade to white, and then like all these flashback scenes are happening. Like just like they're they're happy doing what they're doing, and that is not something that movies generally like to admit is that such an act could ever be like something in any way conceived as po as positive you know um so right. um i kind of wish that it didn't do that bit at the end um but you know can like uh, it's it's yeah. not like it's I not a huge that. mark on the movie. Point. I just I just switched it off before the flashback <laughs> thing like started because I knew it was coming. Like nope, I want to stick with this emotion. This is I like. Being yeah, I'm never. Emotion. Yeah, I'm never preferable to characters dying at the end of the movie. Like I'm always like, it's a movie. Like you control the narrative. So if you really want to give them a happy ending, like give them a happy ending. But. Um, like, I, I, again, just think it's uh, Ridley Scott, you know, um, just paying homage, I guess, to that sort of Western sensibility of, like, we're going to go out in a blaze of glory. Yeah. You know. No, uh, yeah, so, just, yeah, just to be sure, I'm, what I'm talking about is not the act of suicide itself, which that part I'm very on board for. It's, like, the way you're the, saying the, 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 the flash credit back. sequence at yeah. the end I, is, like, this, like extended flash yeah, yeah yeah i think patrick understood too yeah. he was just yeah. saying like if you want people to feel like you're the writers if you want to give them a happy ending give them mm. a happy ending but if you don't want to yeah you can you don't need to hedge your bets right yeah, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. wrote it yeah <laughs> you don't need to follow reality yeah. <laughs> have them fly <laughs> over the grand canyon <laughs> 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 drive away yeah it's a movie. We can do whatever we want. <laughs> just have it end like Greece. Just have them drive yeah. it to the sky. To the sky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, someone. I saw someone tweet that exact thing, like saying, uh, "It. It's. I, I hope everyone knows that, like the Greece, the car from Greece and the car from Telvin and Louise, are like uh, 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 intertwined forever in cinematic heaven or whatever or some shit." <laughs> Um, but yeah, that relationship is clearly real. Yeah, the car from Greece and the car from uh, Thelma and Louise are in love with each other. <laughs> it's a much better romantic pairing than the couple in Greece. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, 
I will cover my notes see if I have anything mm -hmm. else that I want to say. Uh, I like when Tobleski and uh, Kaitel are interviewing, uh, interrogating Pitt, and uh, they say that they both like figured something out about him. And he goes, "You two boys sound like you have a lot in common. Maybe I should leave you alone for a minute." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like their faces when he says that. <laughs> I like how smart ass he is to the cops too. Yeah. Like that's yeah. that's the one redeeming quality of JD is that he's an asshole I to the cops. I think he has a lot of redeeming qualities. I think <laughs> yeah. his only bad quality is that he steals from them. Yes, I guess so. Yeah, yeah, he should have not stolen from them. And it's a little bit of a grift. At least yeah. he taught Selma how to steal <laughs> the right way, how to rob people. That's cool. And I don't think he had like I mean maybe it's reading too much into him just because I too think Brad Pitt at this point is super hot, mm, um, yeah. and I enjoy his character. But I don't think he had any intention for stealing from them. I think he got out of the shower, saw the money, grabbed it, and left. Yeah, like, probably wasn't and he probably, super malicious. I mean, they and found he might have him. assumed that they were yeah. also criminals, or that you know if they had sixty seven hundred dollars lying around that they could get sixty seven hundred more. Yeah, he, he also should have just so, shut up and uh, not told I, the cops uh, that they're going to Mexico. That's the other thing. Sure. That yeah. Sorry. That's about. that's his actual worst quality. Yeah. 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 Uh, he saves himself. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's a chicken sacrifice shit. Sacrifice system. Yeah. No solidarity there. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, otherwise, I, I enjoy his his character a fair amount. I yeah. think that him and Jimmy are the only competition for like yeah. passable men. Yeah. You guys like can judge gentle. this way better than me, but like, what are the, what were the southern accents like in this movie? Because I think Harvey K. Tells was I thought they were bad. fine. Oh uh, yeah, uh, I thought I don't he was remember like his accent. Honestly, yeah, I thought they were pretty good overall. Okay. Well, again, you guys can judge that way better than me. Davis is very good. Mm -hmm. There's a, I mean, like. There's a myriad of of southern accents because I mean, I also like, don't care. They're, um, well, where are they from? Well, they're from Arkansas originally. Okay. I think so, so they yeah. they drive out of Arkansas through Oklahoma and I assume go through New Mexico or Arizona. Yeah, I guess it looks. I, I mean, they're going yeah, through they're in Arizona at the end. Canyon at some point, so they're yeah. going like via. So yeah, they're going. Yeah, they're going it's around Arizona. Texas. So yeah, oh, it's in Arizona. Arizona. But yeah. they but like a lot of the other stuff they drive through is in New Mexico also. So like. Yeah, maybe when she looked at the map, she figured out the only way to get to Mexico without going through Texas was Baja, California. Yeah, I was going to go to California, basically, yeah. To go around it and go to California. Yeah. Baja, California isn't in California. <laughs> Take a boat from Baja, California, if you don't like it there, to Mexico City. Um, I think that's it. My notes. Yeah, cinematography was fun. I like how the car looks in the desert. So, oh, yeah. The, no, sorry. That does actually remind me. Of, I didn't take a note about it, but I want. I think this is my favorite car in so the good, movie. right? Like, uh, this is. I, I never care about cars. Like, I love the Fast and Furious movies, but mm -hmm. like, there are these sexy shots of cars constantly in them, and I do not give a shit. <laughs> yeah. This one just felt so utilitarian. I don't know. Yeah. It's just like, it's such a pure expression of these women's brief momentary freedom. Yeah. Um, that it, like, I finally like got car culture for like a half a second. <laughs> You're like, I understand. <laughs> yeah. It's, I, um, I was like, only women should have cars. 
and only black people should have guns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, my, my other favorite car in movies, as I've well, written on Letterboxd before, is Isaac Hayes' car in Escape from New York. That's my other favorite car. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good one that has the chandelier I love, on I love, it. Yes. <laughs> the, the chandeliers on the... <laughs> so good. That is a good one, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what about yeah, the I, flying I, car from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang? <laughs> <laughs> that car sucks. I hate that car. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen the movie. Mm. I just know that there's a flying car in it. Yeah, yeah, just like in Greece. It's not that great. <laughs> find, there was a there was a tidbit about how many cars they used. I think there were six total cars used in the filming of this movie. Mm. They had one that was called the Star Car, which was the one that. They used for, I guess, like all the cool shots. And then here it is. It's a 1966 Thunderbird mm-hmm. is what the car is. They had one star car, one camera car, one backup, and two stunt cars. So I guess the stunt cars are the ones they drove off of the uh, yeah, that, ramp. I mean, that I car know, gets, I don't know how exactly they gets did the final it. stunt. Like, they drive it off the road a lot. And, like, there's a yeah, lot of yeah. action with it. So, yeah. It's a cool car. And I mean, the U.S. sure is really pretty sometimes. Like the, there's like yeah, a reason yeah. why some, road road very, movies very natural were natural beauty in the United States invented here. <laughs> yeah. it's too bad we right. destroyed a lot of it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, good note to end on the complete destruction of the U.S. Mm, yep. uh, I think the the nature will survive. I think. Yes. People might be doomed, um, which I guess is technically part of nature. But if we're gonna constantly see ourselves as above it, um, thanks for listening, everybody. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. If so, please subscribe using your podcast listening application and uh, give us a five star rating review on iTunes. Then you can also go to patreon.com to give us money. Or you can go to our website, loosecannons.net, for a bunch of free content. And then after you've after you've taken in a bunch of that free content, you're like, hmm, I deign to give them $5. <laughs> then go back to Patreon. Give us some of that money. Yeah. And, if, yeah. and if you give us money, you can choose some content of your own to be made by us. If you give us enough money, yep. we'll create content for you. Um. That's it. I don't know what we're going to be doing next week. I think maybe uh, Basil's pick, which is going to be an Agnes Varda movie, which I mentioned yeah. on a previous podcast. We did this one this week because we didn't do Agnes Varda last week, and uh, Basil is out of town this weekend. He's in New York. Uh, so, yeah. Can't tell you what we'll sneak next, but I can say goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye. <laughs>